Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy, and we're back with another episode with super producer Alex. How are you doing? I'm here. Thanks for having me. I'm doing just great. But you, I got to say, you, you caught my attention just before we came on because you mentioned, but you didn't go into it, that you were watching The Breakfast Club the other day. It's one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a classic? It, it came out, what, in 80, what, 5, 84, 85? Uh, it's somewhere around there. And I remember seeing it. I must have seen it 10 times when it was in the theaters. It was that good. But that's when we were hanging out in the malls for entertainment. Oh, right. I never hung out in the mall. I think you're too young for that trip. That was know. an early 80s thing. It was. So did you see the Netflix show uh, Stranger Things, I think? Mm-mm. You didn't see Stranger Things, really? Uh, no. That's one of those cultural icon shows that I think you need to see on Netflix. But oh. nonetheless, so that the entire time period that that uh, that that set in is I would have been roughly those boys age. And we were hanging out at the arcade and going to the mall and stuff like that. So. Um, so, yeah. How did we get on that? Oh, yeah. Breakfast Club was showing at the mall that we hung out at. Now, did for you pay long, for long it time. 10 times or did you sneak in? I don't remember. I'm, I'm sure that we were fine, upstanding young men that paid every single time even I'm though sure we didn't you have did. a job mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. how that works so you what, what did you like about that movie oh it's just it's classic the different personalities and how different they are and then they all come together and but they're all in trouble did you ever get in trouble in school oh lord let's not even start I was going to ask you I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question if you ever got like what the most memorable oh piece of trouble you secured was but what uh, I want to go to first. If you had to pick your character on uh-huh. Breakfast Club, which one would you be? Uh, I'd probably be the jock. Like, like, and, and if Emilio if can, Estevez, yeah, yeah, Emilio, yeah, the the um, wrestler. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I'd probably be a Johnny Bender. The uh, the dropout burnout the dropout guy. guy. He's basically yeah. just trying to impress everybody with being cool oh. in his trench coat and his boots. That was right, the which he was not cool. But. Yeah, but I would probably have tried to be cool like that. Oh, oh. no, biggest piece of trouble I got in. So uh, I ended up in in-school suspension once. Oh, really? What for? Oh, I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Um, we left the dance. Okay, we and <laughs> <Yeah>. dance and <laughs> yeah. left. We need to unpack all three of those words. Who is we? Uh, me and a couple friends of my troublemaker little friends. Male, female, both female. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and the deal was you could go to the dance, but you couldn't leave the dance till the dance was over. Like and what happened if you did? Come, do what? What happened if you did? Well, apparently you got in school suspension. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what happened? <laughs> and how did you attempt to leave you and your trouble? Uh, we just ran out the door. Just it was like a, it was just a sprint. You just ran. Uh, it was a full on sprint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did they catch you? Uh, pretty much they saw us run out the door <laughs> this is a high-tech school you went to i know yeah yeah you bet yeah so that's what we did and we went and we i don't know we watched a movie or something and just kind of went around the neighborhood but uh yeah and then and then like in school suspension you would think is for people that like disrupt like in school uh-huh. <laughs> so, so they put us in there and we're like what the hell are we doing like, this is, <laughs> well this now is- how did that compare to the breakfast club was it a similar situation on well, a breakfast Saturday? breakfast no it was it was like three days like during school 
right? So okay. So basically, so they you have to us- sit in that yeah. room all day. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And they pulled us out of class and, and we had to sit there all day and we did our work and that's what we did. Huh. Okay. So we had an in-school suspension as well, but we called it, it was Saturday detention is what it was. It wasn't uh-huh. suspension. Uh, and we would just say, yeah, I got Saturday, meaning that was my punishment. And Saturday was 8 a.m. to, I think, 2 or 3 p.m. It was basically the same hours as a school day, uh-huh. uh, except that we all met in the cafeteria. And there was one of the athletic coaches was there. He supervised the whole thing. And at any given Saturday, there were probably 15, 20 of us in there at the most. Oh my gosh. So you've been, you went multiple times. It, that's what I'm gathering from this. I wasn't meaning to give that information away, but evidently I did. Well, you did. You know, yeah. you know, you know so. how, how, how I, uh, how I learned it. It's from our guest today. Oh, who is our guest today? James Pyle. You know him? This is the army interrogator, army interrogator. That's right. I just private pile. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. No, not Gomer. James. (laughs) This he's like, he's like Gomer pile was like a screw up James pile. Don't Mm -hmm. mess with James pile. Like, uh, and see, you just gave stuff away and I figured it out. So that's, that's what he does. He's an army interrogator. Huh? Okay. And Mm -hmm. what's different about an army interrogator versus say an FBI interrogator? I'll tell you the army interrogator, you know who they, they, uh, interrogator, all these um, guys in Guantanamo and stuff. Oh, so yeah. So the, uh, foreign language, uh, angry was very resistant to, uh, divulging information as you are. So do you see how, um, how that can go? I see how you're able to paint me with this brush. Yes. Thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, anyway, but back, back to your uh, in school suspension Saturdays, how, how often did you end up there? Uh, I think I went two or three times in the course of about two years at that school that I graduated from. Um, but so what stood out about it was that we had to sit there at the cafeteria tables socially distanced from each other uh, and basically like a classroom, but we were spread out significantly from each other and no paper, no pencil, no distractions, no nothing. You just sat there? sat there for a, what, a seven hour period and stared straight ahead. Oh God. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. You couldn't bring homework. You couldn't bring a book. You couldn't put your head down on the desk and take a nap. No, you couldn't fall asleep and fall out of your chair. Now you did any of those things. You're coming back the following Saturday. You just start over again. But you, you, you went back. It took me a few times to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I think is the, the, I don't know, the moral of the story and probably the, the moral of my life. If you were to really drill it down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It took me a few times to figure out this is not somewhere I want to be. Oh man. Well, I got a we story ha- for you. Yeah. Then. I've seen if we have any crimes today to talk about. Well, I don't know how much how much criminal is involved in here. It's just an interesting Florida man story. Are you ready? Uh, Florida, bring it. <laughs> he was pulled over by uh, by officers and later tasered uh, and subsequently arrested on a series of charges. None of them particularly significant, uh, but a bystander was able to catch the entire interaction on video, share it to social media, where it got over twenty eight thousand views. Uh-huh. Uh, the story is a fifty seven year old man. This is back in earlier September. 
he was on the median left turn uh, to pass cars. Yeah, uh-huh. there's driving violation, not a big deal. But when the officers um, told him to exit his car, he refuses, removes a knife from his waistband and throws it into the grass alongside the road. Why would you throw your weapon? I have no idea. But the guy says, what are you scared of? I got knives. You got a gun. <laughs> are you ready for the good part? I'm, oh, this isn't the good part. This is where the video comes in uh-huh. when the guy apparently bends over, places his hands on the road and starts twerking. Uh, uh. Yeah, he's shaking his butt at the cops. He does this for merely for nearly 20 seconds uh-huh. before he walks to the middle of the road, drops to his knees, ready to be arrested. Uh, when the officers come up to him, he then gets up and gets ready to flee. Uh-huh. But he gets tased, and yeah, it's all downhill from there. He got tased a couple of times. So he twerked uh, at the cop. Yeah, twerking will evidently get you tased and arrested. That's the take-home message of that story. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> well, I bet James Pyle, the Army interrogator, knew. Uh, he, yeah, he would know for certain. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, <laughs> on that note, and a good take-home message on what not to do when you're pulled over. Including twerking. Yeah. Including twerking. Let's really, no James. man should ever be twerking. Sorry. Yeah, let's go to the interview. That sounds a whole lot better than thinking of a man twerking in the middle of the road. You ready? Yeah. No, we're off to James. Let's go. James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really an honor to have you. And the honor is all mine. <laughs> now, you are a retired Army interrogator. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. All right. And so I have a lot of questions for you, but um, I think I think some of the most important ones we're going to get to right away. So because didn't you used to be a um, a funeral uh, salesperson? Did I get that right? Well, yeah, I, I, I've been in the funeral business in all, all different uh, manner of form uh, in the actual funeral conducting uh, in, in central Illinois. And then I moved to California and went to work for Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California, one of the finest uh, privately owned cemeteries in these United States. Yeah. And uh, they sell cemetery property before need. And uh, it's a tough sale, but uh, something everybody needs, nobody wants. But uh, we were able to do that. Now, Forest Lawn, I've heard of that. Isn't that where a lot of famous people are buried there, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, quite a quite a famous uh, location for old Walt Disney, uh, Gable Lombard, uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson. Taylor. Yeah, Mrs. Taylor. Now, that was probably after your time there. Uh, it I was. Would... It was. I was there in, in the... Uh, I've been blessed with a good forgetter, so I have to really think about <laughs> old times. But a uh, good forgetter. <laughs> but, uh, but really, uh, yeah, back in, the, back in the 70s, uh, 70, 79 to 80 to 81. And, uh, oh, wow. Okay. So I want to know how you got there, but, but first, or, and especially what you did after that, but first I want to keep going on this because I was reading in the wall street journal, um, at, uh, Pierce brothers, Westwood village Memorial park. Do you know them out in LA? Yeah. 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 They're, they're a competitor. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the there was recently an unused crypt sale and you know what the crypts are right that that's that's where you kind of get slid into a wall i guess yeah 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 mausoleum and and, and outside garden crypts here yeah yeah so unused crypt sale next to hugh hefner and marilyn monroe do you know how much that went for 
I sure don't know. I, I'm sure inflation being what it is, because buck teeth are up to a buck and a half, and it costs a quarter now for your two cents. So <laughs> sure, it's, uh, sure it's uh, quite a bit, probably what uh, half a million bucks. Uh, two million, two million dollars. Yeah, if you want to be ma- uh, buried next to Hugh in Maryland, so um, just a fun little tidbit. I thought uh, you'd you'd probably enjoy. I, I never had that much commission, so, <laughs> but uh, but it was a great job, great work, great place. And uh, it, it, matter of fact, I believe it, it probably took me to where I was in the Army with my sales skills, being an interrogator. I think it brought a lot to play uh, back when I joined the Army in 1984. Now, let's, let's talk about that. So, so you're, you're doing funeral stuff. You're doing pretty good. And, and one day you woke up, you're like, I'm going to join the Army. Like, how did this work? How did, how did that all come to pass? Well, I left Southern California because I don't care for Southern California. If Forest Lawn had been in the Midwest, I'd still be there. Mm-hmm. But uh, being in Southern California was a little bit much. I was raised in Southern California, but I would never live there again. But I left there to come back to the Midwest. And um, after the bombing in Beirut, mm-hmm. I was working at KDEX, a radio station in, in Southeast Missouri. I began to really get a, get awareness that... Uh, being an American, being a, a citizen might require some, some more from me. And uh, uh-huh. I joined in, in, in 1984. Uh-huh. After, that was in October of 83. So Beirut happens. You're like, I got to do something about it. And you join up with the army. And then how did you end up becoming an interrogator? Because that, I mean, it takes a few steps to get to anything important in the army, it would seem to me. Well, it, it, was, it was my doing, of course. Uh, they offered me a job when I went up to uh, the MEP station, which is the kind of the recruiting station. And they offered me a job and I didn't want it. I said, I'm going back home. Oh. And they called me three days later and said, well, what do you want? And I had done some research and I said, well, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to join right away. I'd like to go to uh, Leonardwood, uh, Fort Leonardwood for basic training because it's close to my home. Oh. I said, I'd like to be in Intel and I'd like to get a cash bonus for enlisting. <laughs> so you weren't kidding. Oh my gosh. Six days later, I'm at Fort Leonard Wood and I'm going to become an interrogator uh, by going to Fort Huachuca and DLI language school after that. And that, that started it all. You bet. Wow. Okay. So then um, I'm so curious about a lot of these military um, uh, interrogation schools, because I've never been to one. Uh, all the training that I, that I've taken as a body language expert has been, um, you know, along with the police and, um, FBI and things like that. But in the military, it's, I I would think it's like, it's sort of the same, but it's sort of different because you got, um, uh, what I would think is probably a lot of foreign, like war crime type guys and terrorist type guys. And, and, uh, so, so how do how did, how does all that training really, like, what do they tell you about? Well, it's it's very short, uh, ten weeks of training for that particular skill set, mm-hmm. but um, it is for a, a tactical uh, exploitation. Back then, back in the eighties, mm-hmm. it was more conventional warfare, tactical uh, questioning, uh, different uh, uh, you know different uh, uh, sources and such. But uh, that's where I met Greg Hartley, of course. Uh, oh, okay, maybe. yeah. And that's where the, I think that's the connection we have here with body language and you and Eric Cunley and Mark yeah. and Chase and and uh, and uh, um, Mark Chase and Scott. 
Oh yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah. Those guys are great. You guys yeah, are all in the top ten of all the whole wide world of body language folks, and and I'm just a stepchild in that little family. But <laughs> I, I enjoy being with you guys, talking with you guys. I've learned so much, and uh, with the the behavior panel recently, uh, I really enjoy that. But um, but most of my body language training I accredit to uh, animated movies when I was a kid. Oh really? Yeah, I've looked back. <laughs> And, 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 and the best interrogator I ever was, was when I was two years old, because I asked simple questions and I wanted to know who's that, what's that, how's that work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why? And you were the same when you were two years old. Oh, sure. That's how we learn. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned the word earlier, you said you were curious and that's the key. If I could teach curiosity, I wouldn't have to teach everything else that I teach because naturally you would want to know. And you would ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we were kids, we asked questions and it was simple. And then the, our parents said, but you quit asking so many questions and yeah. probably accommodated. Uh-huh. You know? And that's a shame because uh, that's the key to, to interrogation. That's the key to elicitation. That's, that's the key to, to information collection. And so curiosity is, 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 is king. And uh, body language is without question essential. But good questioning and reading body language goes together. Bad questioning and body language reading doesn't work as well. Right. So, so I've, uh, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not the king of questioners, but I really have focused in the last 30 years on that skill set. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, let's talk about, um, let, let's talk about questions. And so in, 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 in some stories. Okay. So I assume what, what happens when, okay, you've gone through 10, your 10 weeks of training and you're like, I have got this handled, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens? So, so the army, I don't know, arrests people or brings prisoners in or whatever, and they sit them down in front of you and they go, okay, James, find out what happened and a lot more. I mean, what, what do you do then? What, what's your tactic? Well, uh, Usually the, the, the uh, person across the way, not necessarily across the desk, because uh-huh. uh, body language folks, you, know, you don't want to have any barriers between you. Right, right. So you, you work on that. But uh, they're a hostile. They're not interested yeah. in, in your interest. And so the, you have to create a, an environment where they're comfortable, where they believe you, where they trust you. And you're the only uh, person between them and their perceived freedom or, or hope. Um, sometimes you have to paint a very black picture and then pin, pick a little pinhole in it to get a little light through. And that light then is that the only thing that they are looking for. You can lead a horse to water. And what's the rest of that? You can't make them drink. That's right. Now, if you hold a head in water, they might drink, but that's not the right process. Right. And, uh, you know, the CIA guys learned that one. Yeah. So Waterboarding. Horse- that's always good. That's a good way <laughs> you, to get. You lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. Just make him thirsty. Yeah. And he'll drink all by himself. Uh-huh. And that's the that's the, the the job of a good interrogator is to make them want to cooperate and have a reason to cooperate, and I basically uh, commit treason. Yeah, still smile while they're doing it. Yeah. Now, and and what do you have any stories about how you did that that you can talk about? Because you probably have some you can't talk about. Probably a lot. Well, you can't I, talk I, about. I, I I probably should just let that be and let you know that I've I train these folks the the best i've learned how to 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 question and uh, more of the people i trained 
were more successful and more access to to what you're looking for. Greg Hartley, uh, for sure. Eric Maddox, for sure, uh, are key people that uh, have 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 better stories than me. But uh, I really uh, can tell you that uh, I think the Army saw in me. I, I joined when I was 33. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. In life. Mm-hmm. And so I brought a lot of skill set, a lot of, you know, street experience mm-hmm. to play. And so when I was training interrogators at Fort Huachuca, uh, the 10-week course has one whole week of questioning. Eight hours a day, five days a week, yeah. 40 hours. And nobody wanted to teach that block. That was a very difficult, hard block to teach. You know, PowerPoint slides. Mm-hmm. Well, back in the day, it was just gold block letters on a dark black, dark blue background. Two hundred and forty-four of those slides in in five days, and it was mind-numbing. Yeah, and it was real slides. It was every question in every situation mm-hmm. and every sequence and every type of level of information about people and and such. And so when I came out of the army and when I began to train in the army, well, there's, there's two schools for interrogation, the Marine Corps and the army mm-hmm. for, for, for that block of instruction. And I and several others from Phoenix Consulting Group were tasked by DOD to produce a 10 week interrogation course for non-military folks. Oh, wow. And we were tasked for that and did that for five years and uh, with the Senate supervision and a great, great audience. We had folks from West Coast and East Coast, uh, Navy SEALs and such. We had uh, special operations out of Fort Bragg Mm -hmm. and folks from areas in in DC. And so I didn't want to to teach them that kind of mind-numbing questioning. So I came up with a formula that I thought, if if you follow this formula, you can ask any question to anybody about anything without having to, to have a formulated question. Oh, so, well, can you share the formula? Sure, sure, sure. It's, it's really right. simple. And we talked about a little bit already. Yeah. The, the first the, element of the formula is two, two years old, curious, natural curiosity, mm-hmm. like a kid. So be two years old and then plus six. And that's the interrogatives, who, what, where, when, how, and why. Every good question starts with a good interrogative. Every bad question usually leaves that out. A leading question gets you no information. Do you know anything about such and such? Yes mm-hmm. or no? No information. But if you use an interrogative, you get a more narrative response. So that with, based with curiosity. And then you draw a line under the six and you put the letter F. Oh, what's the F? Follow up. And that's the uh, easiest thing to teach, hardest thing to learn. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, because really, what we're after is is information recovery, right? And so, um, how you, how are you structuring your follow up questions? Because it's easy to go down a path and get yourself, I guess, pigeonholed, right? To where. Absolutely. To where uh, whoever you're talking about just gives you the yes or no answer. Did you did you do it or not? Right. And and <laughs> one of the one of the best things to do, and I think you'll probably agree, is to make sure even like if you're getting to a hard stop question, is to stop them before they before they get that out of their mouth, so that you have a chance to get other uh, information out of them. Right. So, 
um, or or how, how how do you handle that? There, there, there's a lot of var- everything's variable. There's no absolutes, just like in body language, no absolutes. Right. But there are lots of predictable ex- expectations, mm-hmm. and so it is with, with with questioning. Like once you've got cooperation, good, effective, essential questions should be requiring a, a narrative response. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have two ears and one mouth. And that's the ratio you want to be having to listen to more than you yeah. talking. Mm-hmm. And so uh, with that, uh, good interrogative questions uh, start off well. And then uh, then follow up is not being not chasing the, the, the not chasing the, the shiny object, not chasing the bouncing ball. For instance, if I ask if I ask a source, so what were you doing when you were captured and they brought you here? He says, I was planning an IED. Mm-hmm. Most people would jump right in to what kind of IED, where was the IED, da 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 da. I would su- suggest that you not follow that train of thought, but rather, once you get a response to a question, ask that question again. Oh, okay. Tell, were, tell us about that. Yeah. What else were you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, surveillance. Really? Okay. So you're playing an ID, surveillance. What else were you doing? Well, that's all. Now I've got this complete spectrum of what I need to question about. The IED is separate. The reconnaissance is separate. And then I go down and, and, and exploit it uh, through, 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 through number four, which is the next element, mm-hmm. which is there's only four things to talk about. People, places, things, and events in time. There's nothing else to talk about except those four. And they're all related if you have people, you have a place. If you have a place, you have a time. And usually there's something in involved with that. Mm-hmm. If you have a thing, there's a, there's a person that operates and or uh, participates. And you have a time and you have a place. If you have a uh, place, you have people. So everything's related. Some things are more featured than others. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a start point. But you can never stop your questioning until you question all four of those areas. Mm. So it's two plus six over F times four. And that's a formula that you can ask anybody, anything, anytime. Okay. So let's, let's dive down into this. So I think, I think we, we kind of skip, we kind of touched on it a bit, but I, I resistance to questioning, like hostility, mm-hmm. how are you overcoming that? Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a very broad subject. And uh, uh, some, sometimes the easiest is to change the scenery. Oh, really? Okay, so talk so, about that a little bit. Oh, it's okay, so you're, you're more familiar, you say, with, with police questioning mm-hmm. and prosecution questioning. Yep. So uh, you're not getting an experience, uh, you're not getting anybody to cooperate. And you're in this room, there's a big mirror, of course, and everybody knows it's a two-way mirror. Oh, they yeah. got cameras up in the corners, and there's a lot of tension, a lot of stress. It's horrible, yeah. Yeah, and so I suggest walking out of there. As soon as you walk through the doorway, that person is relieved mm-hmm. that person thinks it's over and it's never over <laughs> it's just <laughs> of the, the uh the, the the king not the king but the master mm-hmm. of change of scenery was Leon, uh, han sharf oh yeah yeah han sharf yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he was he was a master of befriending of taking people out of the interrogation quote-unquote situation mm-hmm. Putting them in a park setting, putting them in the hospital where oh. all the uh, where all the nurses and doctors were actual you know uh, collectors. Oh uh, man, I didn't know that. So, so that uh, he would ask questions 
not of you, mm-hmm. but of somebody else in your group. And you ask that person, somebody else in your group about you, never really talking directly uh, always to you about your situation, but people don't mind talking about somebody else. It doesn't, it doesn't seem as uh, compromising. Right. So Hans Scharf was the master of, of the World War II interrogation. And the only thing that's interesting to me still is that if you go down to Disney World, mm-hmm. walk through the Princess, uh, Princess Castle, there's mosaics on both sides of the wall, glass mosaics of typical Disney princess things. Mm-hmm. He did those. See, that's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, just to think that, because I think, I think it's easy to pigeonhole people into one area of expertise and just uh, like he had, so, that, that's just so broad, but you know, when, when you're, <laughs> when, when you're in wartime, you do what you do to get what you, what you have to get done. Yeah, so, because sure, sure. um, one of the things that I learned about Hans, Sharf is that uh, he was he was really the one, like you said, of befriending, but he would have his wife bake for the prisoners. And uh, and and he, he got a lot of information just from giving them donuts right, and pastries and things like that. And, and, and it's, it's always giving people things that, that yeah. can help them open up. I always told people my experience in the army is you got pizza, you got friends. Mm hmm. You got donuts, you got friends. Yeah. Except if you get an anchovy pizza, you can have that all to yourself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's how you get the pizza for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But, but okay. I, I want to jump into one other thing that since you mentioned food, is I was told years ago, and, and I think it to be very, very true, that uh, as an interrogator, it's a good idea if you watch Seinfeld and the Food Channel. Oh, really? Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, Seinfeld, I've, I've never watched it much as, as my personally, uh-huh. but it, it's, it's, it's a lot of talking about nothing. Yeah. And that's what a lot of t- interrogation is, if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Interrogation shouldn't be question, 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 question. It should be conversational. Mm-hmm. And I would never use the word question. I would never say, I want to ask you some questions. I'd say, I'd sure like to talk to you about something. And then I'd ask questions, mm-hmm. but I would never introduce questions. Uh, as a subject matter so anyway the, the the Seinfeld is you'll do a lot of talking about a lot of things until you find something to talk about more specific and I think Eric Maddox was uh, is uh, the master of that mm-hmm. uh, his book of Mission Blacklist number one he uh he talked to everybody didn't matter if they were a high value target or not mm-hmm. and he was he with another staff sergeant from the Marine Corps credited with finding Saddam Hussein oh, that's wow. a great read it's a great book Okay. And, uh, so that, uh, and then the Food Channel is, is a wonderful learning experience because even if you don't have anything with a, uh, let's say, quote unquote, terrorist, mm-hmm. don't have anything in common with him, his beliefs, his activities, his, his hatred, his, his uh, hopes and fears and such, you have nothing in common with him except we all eat. Yeah. We all eat. And if you have nothing to talk about, you can talk about that. Uh-huh. Well, let's let's do talk about that. Um just just a couple like just culturally. Um I have so many questions uh for you. So, you have someone who's of a foreign descent, right? It doesn't matter where, but hmm. a, a lot especially like Middle Eastern countries, like they're really really different. So, uh are you for one using an interpreter or how 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 is all that come together well uh i call them interrupters 
<laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Because they interrupt the flow, but they're yeah. essential. Mm -hmm. Can't do it without it. I, I, I'm, uh, the Army sent me to Monterey, California. Uh, and they taught me twice, mm -hmm. two languages, Arabic and Spanish. Oh, wow. And now in my mind, as my old mind, it's become Sparabic. Because <laughs> <And laughs> you mix them together. It doesn't work like it used to. Uh -huh. But that's where I met Greg Hartley. He and I were in the, the same uh, graduating class oh, back wow. in 1989. Oh, wow. So that's been and, a bit. Uh, it's been a bit. And he and I were roommates. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where our, our, then he went down to, to Huachuca. When I, we both left and I went back to being an instructor at Huachuca and he came as a student. Okay. So he was a student of mine, I'm proud to say. And uh, he's in the, the U.S. Army and, and, uh, and body language folks, really, really proud. And uh, so that... Um, where, did, where, where was I going with this? Where was I was going to talk about oh, uh, languages, interpreters, and so you know the the you have to have you have to have language ability, but you don't have to master the language okay. because if you have an interpreter, you they you understand enough. For instance, if if I'm asking about how many uh, automatic weapons this group this terrorist group had, mm -hmm. and he's talking about fried chicken. Uh, we have a problem with an interpreter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I hear words and know words and context of words. And I watch body language is really important using an interpreter mm -hmm. because if I'm expecting that person to either be surprised or to be uh, lean in to be, be engaged mm -hmm. and he, he pushes back and is afraid, something's happened in what I said and what he heard. And so that uh, we can't do without them, got to have them. Mm -hmm. And lately with, with the Afghan uh, uh, situation, uh, the interpreters and the, the language folks are so essential. We've worked really hard to get them back as mm -hmm. part of the, our, our, our family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, uh, okay. Still a lot of questions. I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked on Afghanistan. I want to talk about that in a little bit because there's a lot to talk about there. So, mm -hmm. um, how do you, okay, so so you have someone, foreign language, you're, you're getting a few words, you have an interpreter there. How do you know if they're lying to you? Well, um, I, I use my hands sometimes. Okay. If I'm, if I'm asking a question, my question is this big, mm -hmm. and the interpreter gives me, gives a, a statement, it's this big. Uh-huh. That might be because he needs to 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 you know, explain what I've asked or something. Mm -hmm. But if it's consistently, I say this, and it's consistently this, I'm suspect. Okay. That he's saying more than I'm saying, and if the person responds with this, mm -hmm. and he talks to me this, mm -hmm. I'm suspect of that. So we have ways to back up with you know monitoring. Uh, it was always uh, a. It's always a. An idea to bring somebody who knows the language, but not be part of the feature event. Oh, sits back and and is you know a, a good read on what what's going. So mm -hmm. you get a good message out. He's 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 saying it just like you say. He's cooperating. He's right on the money, or he's a little sketchy. You know, mm -hmm. so it usually depends on some other outside source for the the, the bottom line on that. But experience and. Um, familiarity with the, the interpreter uh usually you know we're, we're confident that we're good 
So when you were doing some of your interviewing with some of these, um, you know, guys that got brought to you, um, how do you, do you know, like the results of some of the intel that you got or cause some of it was probably true. Some of it was probably not as, not as true. Like, do you know what the army acted on based on the information that you got? Well, the, the army wants, wants actionable, timely information. That's the, that's the thing about interrogation is you want to get accurate information. That's why torture isn't your best right. friend because it, it, it affects the accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, people get desperate to stop the pain or stop mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And it, it's mostly what you see on TVs. Yeah. But, uh, so it's timely, actionable information. And sometimes it's from house to house to house or from city to city, or sometimes it's months and months of accumulation and then an operation. Mm-hmm. So that uh, it's very perishable. It, it doesn't, uh, doesn't last long. And so when uh, teaching resistance to interrogation, reaching, teaching resistance to uh, uh, elicitation, is if you can hold that information long enough, even if you have to give it up later, it's perishable and it's not as uh, damaging or, or damning. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it has to be super timely. So, so they pretty much, they were getting these guys or girls or whoever, and then bringing them straight to you. Yeah. Or, or, or collectors. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it, sometimes it happens right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Uh, you have people, you have a uh, people in, in a home and uh, they, uh, we would train them to, to say who's who's a member of this family, uh-huh. and 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 uh, well, I'm his brother and aunt and uncle, but then you want to ask everybody, and you get down to to the kids. I don't know him. <laughs> He's you know uh-huh. things like that. Uh, so uh, it's just it's it's really really uh, fluid. It's really really uh, you know important to to to, to assess everything, mm-hmm. and and and. Uh, you know, and you, you of, of, of all, you know, your, your eyes are fixed on everything to see. Oh yeah. You know, cause we, 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 uh, at the speed of sight, we, we read body language, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lightning and thunder. We see the lightning first, hear the thunder later. And so what we hear has to be congruent with what we see and, uh, but we see it first and then we hear it. Now, um, What's the biggest mistake you you thought you think you made? If you can say, you don't have to say. If you don't want no, to, say. Um, gosh, uh, I've never been asked that question before. Oh, oh, I stumped <laughs> you. All right, so my my interrogation going good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we come to a, a dead end with a with an old guy, but. Uh, <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I like your question. Uh, you know, just like my, I was always curious to know when I talk to you or talk to other people, would you know, you're, you're a body language person. Mm-hmm. When did you begin to be body language aware? Oh, you want me to answer that right now? Yeah, if you don't mind, because I, yeah. I, I said, if I get to ask a question, that's one I, I wanted to ask. Yeah. When you, when you became body language aware. Well, I was a uh, bike racer. That's how I started reading body language. And um, so one of my teammates you probably heard of, his name was Lance. 
and um lance armstrong and he uh and not not just him but him and his buddies were really fast and i figured mm-hmm. out that um i could get a half pedal stroke half second jump on what was about to happen if i paid attention to body language so i would look for, and, and not just with him right but with with the women too and i i would look at little things and i had i kept a book of what mm-hmm. everyone would do before they would attack or before they would start their sprint. And it would be little things like the drop of a shoulder or the angle of someone's back would change, or they would get a drink of water at a certain time. And, and I had, um, I had records of all of this for everyone. And, wow. and when I started to race from that information, that's when I started to, to win. Cause, wow. because I, I, and it was, it was, it was imperative because uh, cycling at its core is for like flyweight people. And I'm not a flyweight. I mean, I'm, I'm lean, but I'm, uh, tall. And mm-hmm. so I couldn't rely on my strength alone. And, um, because the consequence of not being at least able to keep up in a bike race, they leave you, they leave you behind <laughs> and you have got to find your way home. That is how it works. And then that happens a few times and you're going to figure out whatever you need to, to in yeah. order to at least keep up. So that's, that's how I started. And, and I, you know, it evolved from there in, in little steps and um, just following the, the path sometimes without even knowing it. Uh-huh. where all of a sudden I'm sitting in, in classes with FBI guys and, and green berets and everybody has a gun, but me. And I'm like, why didn't someone <laughs> tell me to bring a gun? Right. <laughs> so, so that's, um, that's how I started, yeah. uh, started my path. It was a long time ago before I even realized it. Well, at that, at that, see that and the necessity mm-hmm. created that, that, that situation. Mm-hmm. I think looking back for me, I was in. Uh, I was the last of five kids, and and uh, the home was 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 blank. It was uh, mm-hmm. not interactive, and I didn't get a lot of feedback as to what am I doing good or what. Oh, what really? I, okay. But I think as I went to the theaters as a kid and watched animated movies, I saw emotions that should be befitting you know the circumstances huh. situation. Yeah. And I think that's where I began to really uh, appreciate and understand. And I've come to realize as I've studied that animators are the master body language people. Aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because they can take an inanimate object like a truck and have a personality and make it human. And we laugh at it, but we also learn from it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm dabbling in with body language now as a stepchild in this, this, this circle uh trying to write a new book called uh, body talk animated oh really oh tell me about that <laughs> and uh with my co-author marianne Karench, we wrote two books together already and it's kind of on hold right now but with animation isolation i advocate that if you watch an animated movie that you like a, a high feature pixar disney yeah kind of movie even from the older ones which have a great great depth of animation uh, watch the movie and then watch it again with the sound off Yeah, and see a movie just like deaf people see it mm-hmm. who are the greatest body language readers. Oh yeah. Because they have to. Mm-hmm. Lip readers and, too, yeah. And then if you have the time, make time to listen to the movie with no video mm-hmm. and listen to the things you would never hear but because uh, otherwise you're distracted by what you see. And, and watch the movie literally as the blind do 
with only hearing what is said and how it's said, the, the breathing rate, the pauses and stuff. And then with that animation isolation, you watch it again and you see what you didn't see before and you heard what you didn't hear before. And it really is going to school uh, at a master master uh, body language level. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what I did the other day is um, I had to, at the last minute, I was going to uh, a, lake, a girls weekend at the lake, at Lake of the Ozarks, and I was going to fly and uh, connect in Chicago and go on down. And uh, my flight was delayed such that I wasn't going to make my connection mm -hmm. like early in the morning. And so I just looked at my husband. I'm like, I'm not spending my lake weekend at O'Hare. And um, and I drove I drove 10 hours to the lake and I had all these movies downloaded that I was going to watch on the plane. And one was Old Yeller. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'm just going to listen to it and see what happens. So I'm driving across Kansas, driving across Missouri and listening to Old Yeller. It was fantastic um and you know, you know i can't i couldn't see it anyway because the lighting and everything but um you know you, i needed to drive but um yeah man talk about elo eloquent dialogue right it mm -hmm. was it, it, like you you just you didn't need kind of didn't need to see it to know what was going on absolutely that's the first movie I ever cried at at the theater probably about 1957 I know the poor dog got rabies or whatever they call and, and they and they, you know, I remember we watched it as kids um, mm -hmm. several times just at school. And I always thought the dog got shot at the end, but he didn't. He kind of gets shot at the middle end, not mm -hmm. the and then, you know, there's a puppy that, that comes yeah, yeah, in. So it ends, whole, it ends you know, happier than what you're going to be OK. You're not going to go home and, you know, and, and, and be miserable. You, you still have hope and yeah, and really great yeah. things about the movies. So. Yeah, the uh, so so like like I, I think that's validates what I said is that listening is you still see it, mm -hmm. and uh, so and, and seeing it without hearing it you still see, mm -hmm. and and uh, Disney folks and Pixar folks are the best of the best of the best of, of, of animation, and I think a, a key key link to to going to body language school and have, and make it be fun. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. So people can do that. So let's talk, let's, um, because I'm sure you have some comments on this. Let's talk about Afghanistan because it's, uh, it's current mm -hmm. and, um, there's a lot of, I guess, helpers that, uh, that were Afghan, that are Afghan that needed to be brought out mm -hmm. as well as American citizens. Now this whole thing came down really fast mm -hmm. and I'm sure there was a lot of behind the scenes reasons why, um, so do you think, just knowing what you know, do you think everybody got out that needed to get out or are there people stranded? Well, they, they say there's still people there. Mm -hmm. So I believe that there are people stranded because they tried to get to, you know, the, the, the airport and couldn't mm -hmm. or, or, were, or, or were forbidden to do so. That's the real key. Mm -hmm. How many people tried and, and or who may now become uh, pawns yeah. I, I I believe that they'll be they'll cash them in for uh, you know monetary exchange to 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 finish this up because they have not they have a higher hand now yeah and uh, you know uh, it's a it's a dastardly dirty deed but I guess if I was in that reverse situation I had that same min mindset mm -hmm. I guess that's the, the way the, the the game is played. But uh, I think we all agree that coming out is a good thing. 
how it happened is probably nobody agrees that it happened well. Yeah. And uh, I just hope the, the souls who are in waiting uh, have that safe passage. Um, I hope so too. Now, what, now let's talk about um, some of the uh, like interpreters that, that helped out um, the, the U S cause over there mm-hmm. or the UN cause, however it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um do you think do you think any of them will go back to this going along with the Taliban or like can they be trusted? Are they are they people that that we uh, would want as as like U.S. new U.S. citizens? Like what's what's the how does that usually go? For for U.S. citizens, I want that guy who was hanging onto the aircraft and fell off over there that's the citizen i want mm-hmm. who desperately wants to leave that situation and come to america mm-hmm. come to this situation that's that's the person that that gave his all to hopefully get there right. it was it was not logical how it happened uh i have great friends uh, international friends who i would bring to the united states in a minute and give them citizenship in a minute because they love this country having never lived in it. Mm-hmm. And they have experience with other countries and other governments that uh, do not allow what we have freely every day here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, yes, there are, there are some who, who may exploit the opportunity, uh, but given the numbers have, have come, hopefully they have come with the right intent to assimilate and to be and to appreciate. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly, uh, a lot of them have that expectation working with us uh, that they would, they would, they would, they would just get on the plane and come uh, and they probably intimated that that would happen. Yeah. And certainly not all did. Well, that's the thing. Our government has a pretty good track record of, uh, well, you, the U S is a hard place to learn to live. If you haven't lived here before, there's a lot of little technical things that mm-hmm. you have to do to like, just i mean even uh voicemail on the phone right like things like that so so uh what's your knowledge of the way that the u.s actually takes care of some of these folks do you have any intel on on that i mean are they are they good or is it are they just well they'll they'll still be vetting going on Mm -hmm. because they are aren't just uh, unlike the folks coming across the southern border who who are made contact and, and just given free passage yeah. to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. These folks will come to uh, staging areas and they'll have to process. And I have more confidence in that process than, uh, than not. So that uh, hopefully uh, if we have some bad actors that we can identify them through uh, metrics, uh, your biometrics and the like, and, uh, and good interrogation, good screening, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who are you, where you come from, and then validate that and watch for that and see, you know, if they say, well, I'm from, uh, well, you know. Right, you know. I can't really answer <laughs> where they're from. <laughs> My name is, uh, 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 and, you know, those kind of things. Uh, got it, got it. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about you because I just know you have a lot more to talk about, and I'm sure you talk about it both in your books and in some of your classes. Now, um let's talk about the classes first i i know you're teaching them are there any of them public where people can go or um i mean tell me about about that yeah. 
No, the, the, the classes, since I came out of the Army in 19, uh, 2004, mm-hmm. uh, I went to work for Phoenix Consulting Group, uh, owned and operated by uh, Jerry York and John Nolan. Jerry York is the grandson of Alvin York, the uh, World War I uh, most decorated uh, soldier. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a real honor to work for him. Mm-hmm. He was a, a colonel in the U.S. Army, and he formed this group that uh, we took the very first Afghan tragedy with uh, Mike Spann being killed at Masri Sharif. We took that video that was shot um, by a news organization about an hour long, and we used that as our basis for our very first training for DOD and for uh, Mm -hmm. collectors and for uh, folks to to be aware of, uh, you know, collecting methods, how to, how to, you know, elicit and otherwise. And so that uh, they were then sold to DynCorp International. And now the, the remnants of that uh, was is now belongs to Omentum, which is a new company built by DynCorp International. But just last week, I was down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina with, uh, with uh, uh, Cliff Ruggles. He and I have been training uh, maybe eight to 10 times a year to, to special ops and different folks, mm-hmm. uh, elicitation, negotiation, mediations, things that connect with people and uh, in the military to to get cooperation, to get information, to get uh, advantage. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, so pretty much all private stuff. Like yes, yes, okay. yes. yeah. Okay. No, no. I uh, I'd love to do what you do, you know, someday uh, just talk to people on the flat screen here and and uh, maybe tell them what I know and you know a few stories and a few jokes along the way, but uh, but uh, I think that uh, just my writing and and my training with uh, I'm into now uh, is probably as much as I'll ever get done. <laughs> got it, got it. So let's talk about books. Uh, you got one. We talked about the one you're writing. It sounds like that might be a bit. Uh, to to come out. So how can people get more of James Pyle right now? Okay. I had a I had a book title that I wanted to, to sell as an idea called How to Know Everything About Anything Without Knowing Nothing. And uh, <laughs> they didn't like that title. So it came out to be uh, uh, Find Out Anything from Anybody Anytime. Okay. Career Press 2014. Uh, Marianne Corinch and I, I, I have the ideas and the concept. And uh, she then makes it, weaves it together to make it readable and enjoyable. Got it. And, uh, I couldn't do what I do without her doing what she does. Mm-hmm. And so that book then it specializes in, in just conventional conversational questioning. And it's for first responders. It's for salespeople. It's for people who aren't cognizant of how poorly we question naturally and how to just change that to become effective. You know, I, I look at everybody in the whole world and say, what do you know that I don't know that I wouldn't know if I didn't ask, you know, right. and everybody, everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And my girls, I have two teenage daughters and one just went to college uh, this last week oh, wow. and the other is working on high school and finishing it up. And they said, dad, do you have to talk to everybody? I said, yeah. <laughs> you get embarrassed, my husband. <laughs> I talk to everybody because everybody's got something for me to learn. Mm-hmm. And what else are you going to do if you're standing in line at Home Depot? But, Talk to people. Yeah. You stand in line at, you know, to wait at a restaurant. Talk to people. I talk to everybody in the elevator. Most people never talk in the elevator. 
but I'm that guy. Oh, you're that I'll guy. Got I'll it, find got something it. to talk about in the elevator and, and find out things that you would never know mm-hmm. unless you ask. Oh, or yeah. in my case, I try to never to ask a question. It's always a provocative statement or an observation uh-huh. because everybody gives you data. Mm-hmm. And I just take the data and run with it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I go to NASCAR races and everybody's wearing a jacket and a hat yeah. and telling me what they like. Yeah. And so I like it too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I might not even be totally honest. I might say, man, I hope Fords win this race today. You uh-huh. like Fords? Yeah. Have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty, shameless, soon okay. pretty soon you'll be like an Eminem and skull. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but it's too easy, you know. It's, it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. But, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I enjoy the racing and I enjoy the racing crowd, and I just take advantage of them. So, <laughs> oh, but, I uh, love it! I uh, love it. Well, I tell you what, um, do you want to leave people with one last tip? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess. Uh, Two things don't come easy, mm-hmm. money and information. People will not give you either one of those unless you are convincing, personable, um, believable. And sometimes it's life-changing. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. life-saving. Sometimes it's uh, money-making. Whatever the case may be, you to get information or to get money, you've got to be able to communicate and that communication has to go both ways. So you got to be able to see what you see, hear what you hear, say what you say. And uh, to do that better, uh, both I have two books, uh, uh, Find Out Anything from Anybody Anytime, and also Control the Conversation. Oh, got it. And, and that's that's how to answer questions and answer uh, and respond to, to situations uh, uh, more favorably. Mm-hmm. And so that's the Jim Pyle story. That's it. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing more of your uh, podcasts. And thank you for letting me be a part. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.